Frequency, frequency, frequency matters. the Frequency Matters podcast. Blessings to you wherever you are in the world. I'm Kim Fendi, your host. Today we have Dr. Mauro Zapatera. He obtained his MD and PhD from Harvard Medical School. He is board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation with a focus on optimizing human performance, increasing awareness, and decreasing suffering. He's been practicing mindfulness since 1998 and teaching mindfulness to patients with chronic pain since 2018. He has led the Awakening Awareness Program for the Emerging Sciences Foundation, which can all be found on YouTube for free. He has published numerous scientific papers and medical book chapters on the cerebral spinal fluid, disability, and pain management. He has also published I Am All One, and All Love, which are books exploring topics of awareness primarily for kids, but really for people of all ages. He has also published Close Your Eyes, What Do You See? with his son, which is a story about imagination and intention. And this is Dr. Maro Zapatera. I'm Kim Fendi. I am a sound healer based out of Cincinnati, and I am really interested in exploring the fascinating work that's being done around the world in the field of sound and light frequencies and the impact on the human body. Cool. So I'm excited to hear what you've got to say. I know you've done a lot of really fascinating work um, in your field. So if you just want to just kick it off and wherever that kind of prompt takes you, we'll just go ahead and flow with the conversation uh, <clears throat> yeah so um it could take us anywhere to be honest with you yeah uh sound healing um yeah so you know a lot of the work that i do is uh is is with with people uh we do use sound healing um to do some of that some of that work um and i'm very interested in you know how sound and how frequency and vibrations or energy let's just call it um you know what sort of energies we interact with and 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 how sound and light uh can help rebalance uh our own energy field um based on you know whatever happens to us in our daily life or um, even our thought patterning or our emotions or or whatnot. Uh, and so I always kind of take it and think about it from like, um, from like, uh, you know, if I walk into a sound wave, for instance, uh, let's say there's a, you know, drums are playing, but crystal bowls or But you obviously hear it, so there's sound that comes um, through. Uh, so there's an auditory component to it, 
um, and then you feel it um, from the physical level. Uh, but the sound is essentially, you know, it's it's transmitting an energy wave and we're interacting with that. And so I think the curious, you know, the curious question is, um, can that sound wave interact with our own uh, energy patterning? And does that sound wave, you know, have a certain frequency to it that can help rebalance or, you know, bring harmony or or um, homeostasis to our own energy field. I think that's a very valid question to to ask and and uh, and to investigate. Um, and I'm very interested in sort of like, well, how does that, you know, if you were to let's say bathe yourself in a sound bath, um, and people brought awareness to where they were feeling it in the body, right? Where would those places be? Um, or are there places where people are more aware of the sound, the frequency of the sound that's penetrating their body? Um, and where would those places be? Um, and so I'm interested, I, I actually have, have a hypothesis that, that actually the sound comes in and it, you know, it, it really interacts with our whole human system uh but it, it you know it interacts at our dna level it interacts at, at our um at our uh, at our cellular level um and holistically it really interacts um as well on the water level like it like in, in on the fluid level mm -hmm. of the body um you could bring in you know you could bring in a bowl of water into a sound healing studio and all of a sudden you can see the the resonance of the water forming right and if mm -hmm. and if it has a certain frequency you can actually see shapes and patterns that develop on that water or even if you did it let's say on a on a metal surface with sand or you know stuff like that yeah um and so you know so i just kind of I'm just more interested and curious in those types of questions, to be honest with you, than have any like specific answers to them. Um, we did propose a research study specifically looking at the cerebrospinal fluid, um, and it wasn't funded, uh, but you know, it's still something that we're sort of thinking about in terms of you know, I'm very interested in the cerebrospinal fluid, which is this fluid that bathes the inside of the brain, the outside of the brain, the spinal cord, the sacrum. It's sort of this central column of fluid that our uh, brain and spine are essentially floating in or buoyant in. And so, you know, the question we had is, if you have somebody, you know, if we played something, some instrument or some drum or some Tibetan bowl or um crystal bowl or something like that on the outside could we measure a change in the fluid dynamics in the cerebrospinal fluid that was essentially our basic question yeah um, and people who are very sensitive to it would say well absolutely um and so it's almost like pointless but you know there's a lot of people out there who sort of like it's like you need the hardcore research so you know you need like the scientific proof whatever right. that means right um 
to like show that it really does. But what we've seen is that a lot of research has actually followed, you know, the path of, you know, hey, we're, there's sensitive people out there who can, you know, who have these perceptions. And then the research shows that it's actually true. And then everyone's like, oh, you know, we knew it was true or something like that. So it's sort of like, I don't know, it, it's kind of too bad, but, um, but it is what it is. And so we made that proposal. Uh, but those are kind of the hypotheses that you know I'm looking at right now and and trying to uh, trying to study. That's awesome so. and fascinating and exciting. Yeah, I'd love to be able to see the the science behind that because i I would say i'm I'm sensitive to the the vibration and sound in general. Like if there's more than one conversation going on at once, it's just, it's like chaos in my brain. But if I have one, one frequency, one tone to focus on, it's like, it literally just like washes over your whole body and you can like, yeah, right? it's yeah. like clears your mind. It just like melts everything else away. And it really brings you into that, that present moment. And it's such a blissful state. Right. So the question, you know, I think a fundamental question is, what's going on um you know uh what at what level are you you know at what level is your body resonating with the tone or frequency that's being transmitted mm -hmm. right um are your like you you would imagine that the there's some aspect of some molecular vibration right definitely an elect probably an electron vibration some molecular vibration to some degree some more physical vibration in the fluids and and the the, the cells and the blood um and you know and and how is that how is that then affecting you directly on a very word you know we'll just call it um physical and psychological realm right mm -hmm. uh, so there are some theories out there but you know again they're theories and 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 uh, i'd like to try to do the the experiments to actually show them yeah. um, but a lot of it is based on funding so we're looking for funding yeah i'd love to i'd love to be a part of that someday and if uh, hopefully we can help uh, get the word out there and that would be amazing to be able to not only um I guess, be able to prove, but also really just to see what is going on on the inside and how do these frequencies impact our bodies? And I'm really curious, are like specific frequencies more beneficial to the body? Some may be harmful. And how do we find those optimal frequencies that are the most beneficial? Exactly. Exactly. So that, you know, so, um, I think sticking with the ones, you know, initially it's sort of like if we don't have the research uh, or the research money, it's like sticking to the ones that we know are beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the both light and sound frequencies that we know are beneficial mm -hmm. and combining them um, and, 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 you know, trying to get sort of first person reports or case studies out there of um of people that have gone through light and sound treatments 
and then you know hopefully people get more interested in it and there's there's more funding and then the larger studies can be done so i think it's just going to be you know it's just going to be time and 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 effort that that will um will come in but i i, I do believe hopefully we're kind of moving in that direction uh, mm. that's kind of what i see yeah for sure i definitely get the sense that it is the future of medicine like there's a frequency for if every disease operates on a specific frequency then there's a frequency that can combat that exactly. and can we use those together in to harmonize the body back to homeostasis like you said exactly but I, I'm so fascinated by the work that you're doing with the cerebrospinal fluid. How did you get into that? Um, it, it, it actually came from getting body work done uh, and uh, feeling it. So it's totally, it's totally authentically driven of, um, you know, I was in medical school and uh, my wife, my, my now wife asked me, to take some time off of medical school and go study healing arts and and uh, you know at first I was very resistant because I was in medical school and just kind of wanted to finish um, but then she convinced me and um, and we went you know we went to Santa Fe and did some studying of of hands-on healing arts and and as part of the studies we would get sessions um, and some of those sessions were in um, in in craniosacral therapy. And all they would do is essentially all they would do they would they would hold my they would hold my occiput so I was just lying on like a massage table and and uh, they were holding my occiput and and it was it was it was um, it, you know I, I was very I was a skeptic uh, of course um, I was in med school so I sort of felt like you know everything had to be on the physical realm and then uh, you know somebody was essentially holding my occiput and just what holding is, very what is occiput can you define that oh it's just your head okay you're <laughs> <laughs> kind of holding it like if you're lying down they put their hands like under so these are like back here these are like the occipital bones back here okay um so you know so you're sort of holding the occiput like this as opposed to maybe holding the frontal bone here but you can you I mean you can hold but what i'm describing is you know how how it came they were simply just putting their hands so i was lying on a table and they just slid their hands under my head so if you imagine my head here so that so my occipital bones would be laying on their hands okay um and um you know i just felt this i it, it after a few sessions i sort of started feeling this um this pulsatile energy that was gathering um, in the middle of my brain. And um, after the first time this happened, uh, it, I was, you know, because I was in med school, I was trying to sort of like visualize the anatomy of it. And then also trying to understand what the mechanism of it was. And so what I did, the first thing I thought was, oh, I'm just, I'm just, um, you know, I'm, I'm, let's say my perception is slightly increasing and I'm just noticing my breath. And so I, you know, so I'd pay attention to my breath or I'd put my hand on my, on my chest going up and down. And it was, had, it has a, it had a different rhythm than, 
than my breathing. And so then I thought, oh, well, then it's the heart rate, right? Like I was just thinking of like things that had a, had a rhythm, had a pulse. And so I put, I just, you know, I was getting the session and I just sort of grabbed my radial artery and checked that. And that was going at a completely different rhythm um, than this sort of like felt like a coalescing sort of like um, like a coalescing pulsation in the middle of my head. And so those were the first two things I thought. Um, and, and if there if there was any cerebral blood pumping, it would probably be correlated with my heart rate. And it wasn't there was no correlation at all. It was completely different. Um, and so you know, that was the first time it happened. And then I said, okay, well, you know, it's kind of neat, kind of like one of those like experiential experiences, right? Just kind of like, all right, you know, I think I went home and I told my wife, I was like, yeah, you know, this is kind of what it felt like. And, and it seemed like, um, there was a, there was a large, like, if you close your eyes and, and you, you know, you visual, even when we have our eyes closed, we still can see something all of a sudden, you know, it's like, if, if you were to draw, what I saw, it seemed like it was a huge eye. So it was just a big eye, like <laughs> one eye, right? Not the letter I, but like what we use to see. Uh-huh. And it was just one big eye. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, I, I told my wife, right? Or we were dating at the time. Now she's my wife. Um, and and then what happened is that, so, I'd, so we get these repeated sessions and it, happened every single time so wow. it was um it was very reproducible um and it still is um and so then i started working with it and just sort of like again being curious about it like oh you know what is it if i open my eyes it seems to disappear from the, this view but there's still this felt sense of these of this pulsation that was occurring, um, it felt as if the energy could, um, like, as if you could um, build it, like accentuate it in a way or enhance okay. it. Um, and, 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 and yet, uh, and it felt like you could, um, you know, decrease it if necessary. So it's almost like, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, I was learning how to have this relationship with it and almost like a little dance in a way. And, um, and it happened essentially every time. And I got very interested in it. Cause I'm like, you know, it's just curious to me that you can get these body work sessions and this happens. Right. And, and so, um, it kept on happening more and more, um, and then I felt like more of like an energy sort of rising up from from the spine. And I became very interested in also then sort of seeing, could I feel it? And what was it? And and anatomically, when I visualized it anatomically or really went into the body to feel it as a sensation, where that sensation was localized to me, where it was localized was actually in, in, in this space in the middle of the brain called the third ventricle. Okay. So it's just the space in the middle of the brain that's filled with fluid. And I have no idea why 
I, I didn't do any studying on it. It's not like I was like, oh, you know, there's something in the third ventricle. Now let me see if I can feel it. It was sort of like, this is happening. Where is it anatomically? If I was to locate it anatomically as a felt sense of this pulsatile nature, what is that? And I was like, oh, the, that feels like the third ventricle. But the only reason I knew that is because I was in med school and we had, you know, hardcore anatomy classes, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like I could localize it. And then be like, oh, well, if it's a third ventricle, then it must be connected to the lateral ventricles, and then it must be connected to the fourth ventricle. And so then, like, anatomically, it was almost as if I could start uh, playing with it. Wow. And it was kind of guiding me. Right? I could sort of, it's almost as if, um, because I had a really good sense of the anatomy, I could imagine myself in essence, not myself, but like my attention, it's almost mm -hmm. as if I could place my attention mm -hmm. in my third ventricle and be like, okay, here I am, right? And then, and kind of almost as if you're navigating a new realm. And, um, and so that sort of took me into you know some some kind of personal journeys of and then i just you know i was like wow this is the cerebrospinal fluid and then i started doing um um research on it essentially uh but i went back to harvard to do the research and so it had to you know it was very scientific so sort of like you know the first question was sort of what does this fluid even do right um, you know, my we, first question. Yeah, we had very little knowledge of this fluid, of what it actually did. Uh, and now, we, you know, it's like sort of the research in the cerebrospinal fluid world has just taken off because um, of various findings that have come up, come, come from it. But, you know, the first question is sort of, well, if you want to know what something does, then let, maybe we should figure out the contents of it, right? So we started doing studies of like looking in the contents of the fluid and seeing, could we determine what the fluid actually does? And then anatomically, the fluid is bathing during the embryo, it's bathing all the stem cells, every stem cell of the nervous system, it's bathing. And then the stem cells actually leave the cerebrospinal fluid, the contact with the cerebrospinal fluid and become neurons to develop the brain. And so there was this sort of like capacity of the cerebrospinal fluid to maintain neuronal stem cells. And so we did a whole bunch of sort of studies and that was the work of my PhD it was essentially doing a whole bunch of studies, trying to just understand what this fluid actually did developmentally wow. uh, and how much it changed and things like that. And those are all published and people can read them if they want. And then I was working with a with a wonderful postdoc um, who now has a lab at Harvard who does who continues to do um, research on the cerebrospinal fluid and 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 has even done research on the amniotic fluid and the transition from the amniotic fluid to the cerebrospinal fluid uh, and then looking at conditions such as like hydrocephalus when when um, when you're born with with like uh, or or when you develop too much fluid in the brain uh, and you don't absorb it well enough or things like that so she's gone off and and, and has a wonderful career um, um um looking at various parts of brain development but really kind of taking off on the cerebrospinal fluid and then other people looking at the cerebrospinal fluid and 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 seeing um just the what it actually like what it actually does and so 
you know, the biggest research that has come out from the last, let's say, five to 10 years is essentially that um, when we, so the research shows that when we sleep, uh, our, when we sleep, um, our brain gets flushed with cerebrospinal fluid. So the brain tissue itself actually gets flushed with cerebrospinal fluid. And before we only, we kind of thought, not really, but we kind of thought that their cerebrospinal fluid was sort of held within these cavities of the brain. And there wasn't much mixture between the, what we call the intracellular uh, or or the intracellular fluid um, and the the cerebrospinal fluid, because there was a separation and sort of the, the cerebrospinal fluid was in the cavities. But what we saw is that uh, the cerebrospinal fluid actually goes into the brain tissue and sort of flushes. It's sort of like you get a you get like a flash of cerebrospinal fluid going through the brain tissue during sleep. And 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 this was one of the first findings of sort of like wow, physiologically, when we sleep, something really dramatic is actually happening in the brain. And what that flush of fluid does essentially is it cleans out the brain. So it's sort of used as a, as a, as it, it removes any toxins that build up during the day, just natural toxins. If you don't get good sleep, you don't get this, you don't get this flush of cerebrospinal fluid and then the toxins build up. Well, there's some evidence, I've been saying this for four or five years, they haven't done the studies yet. But there are some there is some evidence to suggest that um, you know any parasympathetic state may actually cause this same function mm-hmm. so deep meditation uh, body work where you're going into a really restful place um, mm-hmm. any you know when I say parasympathetic what I mean is sort of the rest and digest it's part of the uh, the autonomic nervous system so it's sort of the the balance of the sympathetic the stress the fight and flight nervous system. So in a parasympathetic state, when you're resting and you're digesting your food, that the cerebrospinal fluid may actually be able to penetrate the brain and the spinal cord and the brain tissues and sort of clean it out. And that's that's my hypothesis is that wow. it's not, it doesn't only happen during sleep, it also can happen during deep states of meditation and, and whatnot. Um, and so you get this sort of like, you know, imagine like, imagine like your brain was like the shore of 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 a continent and the cerebrospinal fluid was like the ocean and every night the tide comes in and it washes the shore right so it comes in and it goes up a little bit right and then when you wake up you're nice and clean and everything's taken away by the cerebrospinal fluid back and you either you know either poop it out or pee it out Um, and then your brain is clean and you feel good Right? you feel refreshed hmm. um, and and so that's really neat right and so then you have to ask right well here's this pulsatile nature right that occurs so we're talking about pulsatile nature right with music and light and all this other stuff mm-hmm. right? here's this pulsatile nature that occurs when we're in sleep that there's something that happens to the brain tissue that opens up in a parasympathetic sleep state um, and the fluid can go in um more readily so then uh what other things can cause a 
sort of repulsatile nature, right? So we already talked about, you know, what are some of the other things? Well, what the research has shown, I'm just talking specifically, well, you know, what they've actually been able to measure okay. uh, is our breath. So breathing actually can cause our cerebrospinal fluid to move. Hmm. Um, and so if you take an inhale, if you take a deep inhale, uh you are bringing cerebrospinal fluid up into your third ventricle so by inhaling you're bringing uh, your cerebrospinal fluid into the, the your third ventricle and now you'll actually hear uh people like wim hof or people who teach sort of different breathing techniques you know take a deep inhale bring that fluid up into your third ventricle into your brain right uh and and on an exhale what happens is that you the studies have shown that on an exhale from like your belly button on down or maybe mid mid belly area on down the fluid actually gets pushed down to the sacrum so you actually uh you actually the fluid actually goes down to the sacrum from your belly button on down on an exhale right so imagine right that we're in a closed system your sacrum being a vessel of um cerebrospinal fluid sort of like a lake okay and your head also being like another lake of with you know separated by these little ventricles and stuff like that but if you're in a bathtub right so now imagine that that, that you're kind of in a bathtub and if the warm water is by your feet and you're trying to get the warm water up to your neck well, you could go down and sort of bring the warm water up, right? And that would be breathing in, taking a deep inhale, right? Or you could imagine that, ah, you know, I'm kind of lazy right now. I'm just going to, what am I going to do? I'm going to use my feet, right? And I'm going to push the water to the wall of the bath. The water is going to hit the wall of the bath. And then what is it going to do? It's going to actually come up, right? So if I push the water one way it hits the wall and then it comes up, up. and so if you could imagine right, now you breathe out and from your navel on down you're pushing the fluid down into your sacrum so it goes down into your sacrum but it stops at your sacrum so you're kind of you're kind of energizing your sacrum a little bit right you're energizing what's in the sacrum you're kind of pushing it hey and then you take a big breath in and now you're bringing it all the way up and then you do it again and so from your mid from your mid belly down you push it down into your sacrum and then you bring it in down and in and down and in and in the middle of this what you could do is you can add like a kegel exercise or like in yoga you know they call them bandhas you know and you 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 essentially do a kegel exercise where you you constrict your perennial floor and now you're actually using some muscular activity to constrict the perennial floor right so you're constricting your perennial floor that then is a pump you constrict the bottom and now it comes up as you're inhaling right so you constrict the perennial floor as you inhale then you release your perennial floor you push it down exhale and then you constrict your perennial floor and you bring it up and so now you can almost see it starting sort of like a cycle hmm. right and so um so you can get that so you can kind of do this breath work and create a pulsation 
an internal pulsation of the cerebrospinal fluid that's going in that's as it breathes in it actually goes and it you know sort of causing waves on the inside of our of our brain literally affecting the brain tissue hmm. quite amazing right quite quite fantastic absolutely um, and so now right so now link right whatever it might be uh link the work that people have done for millennia with breathing and now we're doing a lot more research on breathing but also with this concept of oh wow we're actually move we're, we're really actually amplifying the movement of the cerebrospinal fluid we're getting it into our third ventricle if we go into a parasympathetic state it might actually be going into our brain itself cleaning things out but the question is well what pulsation right what pulsation can you actually create internal that is sort of like you know it's like the music of the cerebrospinal fluid for instance that you're creating based on your breath hmm. based on bringing in humming sounds hmm. right music that you could create that as you as 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 the vibrations come from your neck or your your vocal cords actually create the you know affect the cerebrospinal fluid that are in that are in the back of your head or that's coming up through your spine um and so i think that's i think all the all those things are really interesting and um you know people are starting to see people are starting to kind of see the benefits of breath work mm. the benefits of sleep and now we're tying it into uh what is happening to the cerebrospinal fluid when we do breath work or when we do sleep or when we do all these other things and you know when we expose ourselves to light or sound or any of these things you know the 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 the, the, the hard part is that um is that the imaging you know it's still very difficult to capture like small changes in vibration we can capture large like relatively large changes in in fluid flow Right, so the so the large movements of the cerebrospinal fluid, the small pulsations against the ventricular wall of the brain is more difficult to 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 actually study with the imaging we have now, which is why the research that we proposed was actually doing these studies in people who unfortunately were sick and were in the neuro ICU. And had a you know had a shunt had actually a catheter that was placed in their cerebrospinal fluid to monitor the pressure mm, okay that's the way that we that's the way that we would get these subtle pulsations right and sure. so and so um and so i'm still working on kind of getting the irb and the funding for that but even doing it on an n of one and showing that and seeing some sort of change i think would be quite quite interesting to a lot of different people um so you can see how kind of like you know breath work um and energy and frequency because when we're doing breath work we're creating a frequency etc mm -hmm. uh, that frequency then is informing the cerebrospinal fluid the cerebrospinal fluid then is informing the brain to some degree and we want to see you know what does that change in frequency actually due to the brain on a on a physiologic uh, level yeah um, 
So that's, that's a lot. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating stuff. Uh, I'm I'm super curious about the answers to all of those questions. I mean, it is interesting. Uh, there's a there's a gentleman. Uh, I, I I'm blanking on his name right now, but he's at the University of Pisa, and he's done a lot of great work on breath work. Um, and you know, he's actually proposed a hypothesis uh, and was looking into possibly the cerebrospinal fluid as being a mechanism for the transmission of that information. Um, but for instance, when you breathe with your nose, that there's these added benefits. Uh, with breathing through your nose, and especially there seems like there's greater um, there's greater synchrony between different areas of the brain when we breathe with our nose, really? and it seems to be that you know when we breathe through our nose, the air goes up our our nasal passages and it actually hits our olfactory bulb, which is like right here back, and okay. the olfactory bulb comes out of the cribriform plate and the cribriform plate is a bone like structure but it has these holes in it where the olfactory bulb actually comes out and that's how we smell right if i take if i take peppermint essential oil and i do this right, i can smell the odor because there's nerve receptors there's nerves that come out of my brain essentially and go through the cribriform plate and those molecules go in and they bind in the receptors and then they they send that information to my brain and I can say oh this smells like peppermint. Mm -hmm. um, well when, when we breathe with our nose. Every time the air hits our olfactory bulb there's a little resonance. And so when. What he found is that the resonance, simply the vibration on the olfactory bulb itself, creates a resonance, actually sends sort of a resonant signal into our brain and creates this sort of greater synchrony and, and, and cohesiveness within the brain. And so he was trying to understand how does that actually occur? Because it was very quick, it happened very quickly. So like the 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 nerve here was sensing a resonance based on the that's one that's two right uh, and then and then my brain would actually get more cohesive in terms of the areas of the brains that that it was functioning on so very fascinating so you know like not only are we trying to do the research ourselves but we're also following it and kind of piecing it together very holistically um you know to try to to try to offer it to try to offer any sort of um you know any sort of let's say healing modality to people because i work in with patients who have uh, who have chronic pain and see you know how can we actually uh, how can we actually try to help these these uh these people yeah that's amazing very cool um, i'm curious if you've seen any connection with the kundalini energy that people talk about because that's kind of explained as like an energy rising. How do you uh, correlate that with cerebrospinal fluid or is there one? Yeah, so I mean, my correlation with it is that the energy actually, um, if there's like an all pervading, let's say energy field um, that in terms of it informing the physical body that it actually enters through the fluid, the fluid body. Okay. So the first, um, the first step down process, let's say from, um, 
from any like absolute energy would be through the fluid and then through the fluid then it gets it gets stepped down more into the more dense uh tissues um and so from um from my perspective it's actually uh, going through the fluid body that you can have that it sort of creates a bridge um, it's a two to me it's sort of a two-way bridge to sort of unmanifested potential energy and you know whether it's that kundalini or whatever that is um, that that as that energy is coming that it actually steps down into the cerebrospinal fluid or the or the fluid in the body um, but since the cerebrospinal fluid is essentially 99% water that that would be that's like a perfect place for it to come down into into uh, and sort of materialize or manifest. Um, and so I think there's a direct I think it's I think there's a direct correlation I think I, in my opinion, uh, the cerebrospinal fluid is the 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 conduit the physical carrier of the kunda of what people call the kundalini energy okay is and, oh i'm sorry go ahead no it's just you know and so now you open it up to people who have had the experience and it's like uh you know everybody many people describe it as you know arising from it from the spine um people have described it as you know bubbling sort of opening up a a, a can of, you know, or, or a bottle of uh, bubbling water, um, feeling the energy rise from the spine coming up from the sacrum, uh, rise in the spine. And the majority of people don't, don't really have any anatomical basis of it. It just, that's where it feels like. And then it goes up and it goes to the crown or the head. And, and then when they hear my talks or when they, you know, they're like, oh my goodness, he, he's actually putting an anatomy to this. Um, and so, you know, I, that's, that's what I think. And, and I think it's, it's, uh, you know, we should probably do a study on like correlating the anatomy with people's experience of it. But, um, you know, but, but at, at this point, that's sort of my hypothesis. And, and, and there's, there's nothing that's coming in that would like change it at this point. But I'm always happy to change hypotheses as new research comes out or, you know, as, uh, as new things come out, no problem with it. That's awesome. But then I think you're spot on. And so that's kind of like, so can you then activate the Kundalini on your own? Well, yeah, I, I, I believe you can, it's essentially just an energy. And so can you activate an energy on your own? Yes, you can. And so how would you do that? Right. So breathing, right. Number mm -hmm. one, um, movement, dance, yoga, right. Sound, mm -hmm. um, you know, like I remember the first uh, one of the first crystal bowls I experienced. I was on the table, right, and they put it right between my legs, um, and played it, right, and then so the sound is coming. So there's like you know, so and I felt it, right. You feel the vibrations, and then and it transmits an energy. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, sleep obviously um, there's various things that you know that can 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 stimulate it. If people want to stimulate. Um, people sometimes want to stimulate it and then regret stimulating it, which is, which is why, like, I've been working with the Emerging Sciences Foundation uh, to actually create, we created a 24-session um, or lesson plan, actually, it's called Awakening Awareness, which helps take people through, like, if you want to actually try to activate the Kundalini, what are some of the basic foundational sort of 
meditation or mindfulness uh, techniques that you kind of should have under your belt before you try to activate it. Um, because I think it's good to just, you know, to be able to uh, feel subtly. I think it's good to be able to sort of be able to name an emotion or a sensation that arises and not get too caught up with it or have, um, or have, you know, traumatic events that arise from it, stuff like that. Yeah. Or if they do to know what to do with them, because the majority of people aren't going to be doing this with like another, um, you know, with another therapist or, or counselor, you know, or guide, let's say they're going to be doing it on their own. So it's sort of like here, here's the foundation, right? Have this foundation and now go and have fun and experiment. Yeah. So you have an awesome library of free YouTube videos that I, I was beginning to check out on mindfulness and um, that there's so much good content there. So um, you can get there through your website, which I love the name of www.holdingspace.com. Yeah, How did you come up with that name? Like, what does that mean to you? Oh, it was actually many years ago. I just, uh, it was while I was doing, um, I was studying craniosacral therapy and, you know, at the end of the day, I was, uh, I was in bed one night and, you know, I was just thinking like, what are we like, what are we doing for each other? What is this energy doing for me? Um, and it was sort of like, oh, it's just, you're really, you're really holding space uh, for anything to emerge. And that's sort of like another way for me to look at like pure awareness, I guess, if you were to, to say is, total and unrestricted space or so through which everything emerges. Um, and so there's no judger, there's no critiquer. Um, it's just pure space. And in that space, um, that's where sort of love and creativity can emerge and you can help co-create or create or you know do whatever you want to do I think um and so essentially it just came out of that and I went online once and just said oh it's it's available so I'm gonna grab it cool but that was probably what was it 2008 okay yeah. so it's still I like still that there. um is it, would you say it's possible to have like unhealthy cerebrospinal fluid or are yeah. there things that you can do to make your fluid more full so of life? Just like anything, right? Diet is probably going to be the most important thing. Um, any fluid in the body um, is probably going to be affected by diet um, types of medications. Hmm. Um uh my experience of covid is that it um it uh makes the fluid more dense and so working with that density and making people recognize that there's a there's an increased density from maybe it's the inflammation or something like that um but a lot of it what we're dealing with is you know is a heightened inflammatory response whatever that might be um through stress through you know work through uh the food that we eat the things that we drink the lack of sleep that we have 
um, and then it just builds up in the in in the cerebrospinal fluid and and then we don't move so the fluid's not moving right so just like any river um, not only do you want the river to move once it's stagnant then that's when that's actually when all the algae builds up and everything mm -hmm. and you know, the murkiness builds up so if you can't change things you know if it's difficult because of your job or your stress or you know your sleep or anything like that i would highly recommend doing well first of all trying to decrease the amount of inflammation that's through your diet um there can be a lot of ways of doing that um we eat so much processed foods or you know soft drinks or stuff like that just really trying to eat a whole food diet, things that come from nature um, as, as close as possible. Uh, and then if you need to increase any sort of anti-inflammatory, you know, component to it, turmeric is really great um, to, to, to decrease inflammation. Cinnamon is really great to decrease inflammation. Uh, Boswellia or frankincense is really great to decrease inflammation. Um, Omega-3s uh, or fish oils uh, or, you know, consuming healthy fish, I guess, um, is a good way of decreasing inflammation. Um, and there are, you know, some people would say, you know, depending on what other medications you are, they, there are some contraindications to those. So you'd want to, you know, if you do want to take any supplements to obviously talk to your healthcare provider. Hmm. Um, but uh you know getting the fluid to flow essentially and decreasing inflammation would probably be the two biggest things and so with that it would be moving like getting exercise even just walking if you can or you know if you're in a wheelchair and you can't walk trying to do any exercise with your upper extremities if you can't exercise with your lower you know exercise with your lower extremities whatever it is any movement that you could do or even just imagining the movement um can 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 be beneficial and then uh breathing like really getting that fluid to move and breathe and and breathing is sort of like i would say one of the best things to do and i feel like what you do in that situation is you start the process of the flow like really conscious breath yeah, yeah. The way that I understood, um, I guess, energy when I was first learning sound healing is that it is most often very like dormant in the base of our spine because we are um, just, there's so much fear and anxiety in our lives. And so when our, like, I came at it as like a root chakra is if our root chakra is blocked, the energy is not flowing up. So once you're able to um really overcome fear or realize where in your life you are letting fear drive your decisions um then that's when things started to open up for me so in that experience is it true that the cerebral spinal fluid is just dormant down there or am i misunderstanding that it can definitely be dormant it is moving based on our heartbeat um based on you know respirations and stuff like that but the thing is is you can like let's say it's let's say it's flowing at you know it's sort of like a little trickle mm. you can actually make it into um a waterfall okay right and 
you can modulate it depending on what you're looking for. Huh. And that's the cool part is, 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 you know, I'm always a fan of like, how do you, you know, here, here's this, here's this total potential sphere of total potentiality uh, manifesting every moment to moment manifestation. And we actually have the dial on that flow. And it's a conscious relationship. And we can modulate it, or we can learn to modulate it. Um, and, and, and I think that's really cool. And so, um, you know, let's say it's a trickle, hopefully it's always moving to some degree. Uh, you're moving, maybe you're walking. Um, you know, even if you're, even if you're, even if you're going to the bathroom and you have to stop and a little kegel like that'll, you know, that'll actually probably move a little bit. Um, hopefully you're getting some, some amount of sleep, right? So you're changing your position. So gravity is working a little bit, but can you enhance it, right? Can you modulate it? Can you learn to have a relationship with it? And what happens is that either uh, it starts moving, okay? And like you kind of said, it starts moving. So it kind of opens up the, 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 the root chakra a little bit. Mm -hmm. We go into the second chakra and then you start feeling something that you've never felt before. And then what happens? A lot of times people just close it down. And so there's sort of this shut. You have the valve, right? You actually have the valve. And many people do this, right? And then let's say it goes from your second chakra to your third chakra and, and, and then something else appears. Maybe a tightening in the solar plexus appears. Uh, what's that? Mm -hmm. And then you actually go to your doctor and you say, I have this tightening and say, oh, you must be anxious. What are we going to give you? We're going to give you benzodiazepines to decrease your anxiety. But it's actually the energy moving. Right. And so that to me is the complicated part of it is actually really understanding, you know, is this the energy moving or is this really some pathophysiology that needs to be medicated and treated, for instance? Yeah. And that's why we did the the Emerging Sciences Foundation, the the uh, the Awakening Awareness Program, because it's it's as this energy starts to move. Right. You might feel there might be sensations in your body that start to open up or that start to actually constrict or new sensation, any new sensation that arises. And the question is, can we be with that? Can we open to it? Can we can we investigate it with curiosity as mm -hmm. opposed to close down to it? Because mm -hmm. if we close down to it, right? If our heart is ready to explode with love, hopefully love can just come through and just explode everybody's heart, but that doesn't actually happen that way. A lot of times they're so closed and constricted and tight that the energy don't flow. And that when you feel a tiny bit, there's like a vulnerability that occurs and in that vulnerability, you recognize, nope, can't go there. Stop. Not safe. <laughs> not safe. Well, yeah. what's not safe, right? And so, mm -hmm. so, so, so essentially teaching people how to be safe, teaching people how to like titrate or, um, or 
bring in a bit of like resonant resonate with something that's safe and not safe at the same time. And then just increasing that sphere of awareness, consciously increasing that sphere of awareness because it's already open. We're just sort of consciously making it so, so that we don't have these creative walls and then being able to actually move it and then living in that, right. And, and being able to modulate it and saying, oh, you know, for this experience, let's turn up the faucet. And then it becomes like you have the, 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 the control of the water faucet on the, you know, the outside of your home. You're like, I need a lot of water now. You see, it's just flowing hard. And then you go, okay, we need a little trickle. Um, but let's say the energy comes, right? And you're like, whoa, it's going, it's flowing. But then you're also okay with that. Right, that there's sort of there's a bit of surrender in the in the moment to moment occurrences of well this is man this is unfolding right now, and so how am I okay with that? Uh, and learning how to do that. So that's actually um, a lot of that is actually covered in our twenty four session uh, awakening awareness program, which is also free online. I love that. Yeah, and I love to hear a, a medical doctor talking about energy. Have you met resistance in this approach to the holistic energetic body with the um, your colleagues or other people in the field? Um, not really, to be honest with you. I have not. Um, That's amazing. And you know, the truth of the matter is that um, the language I use is very, I can use very medical language. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of analogies that are very physical and anatomical and 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 it's almost like I feel like the majority of the time it's like a miscommunication I guess um, that we're, we're it's almost like you're saying the same thing or very close to the same thing but uh, it's just we don't have the language to to communicate and I think that's really actually kind of sad to be honest with you because I it, it we'd probably be in a much better place if if there was just, you know, sort of like one language and we weren't trying to like beat each other up and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, there's also, you know, I found my way into pain management, which is a really interesting field because uh, there's so many options, right? And so it's sort of like, well, what have you done in the past? Oh, you've done these 15 other things and, you know, and how have those gone? And it's like, they haven't worked. It's like, oh, well then, are you okay? Like, do you wanna try something different? <laughs> and it's not different. It's just, it's sort of like, you know, it's like, uh, it's like tapping into, again, tapping into energy in a, in a different language. Yeah. So for instance, uh, a very a, a fairly common procedure in people that have low back pain and leg pain, for instance, what we call like neuropathy uh, going into their legs is a spinal cord stimulator. Right. So imagine. So what does a spinal cord stimulator do? A spinal cord stimulator. We actually take electrodes, take an electrical current, and put it, essentially lay it in the cerebrospinal fluid on the, you know, on the spine. And then 
there's a little dial on the on on the outside of the body and we turn the dial up and that shoots an electrical current to the spine and that electrical current will essentially try to send a different message to the brain what's the message that it's trying to send well it's sending a very high frequency pulsation and what is it doing well the way that the neurons work right is that essentially neurons can only perceive certain information they can't it's very difficult for them to take in like everything right so what we're doing is essentially we're tricking the nervous system by me sending a very high frequency pulsation through a wire that's laying on the spine now what is the spine what information does the spine transmit up to the brain it only can it only really can perceive the brain only gets the information from this high frequency input and so therefore it completely forgets the leg pain wow okay so now i just explained to you a very complicated right spinal cord stimulator now i ask you could there be a way to do that without sticking an electrode in all we're doing is we're tricking the brain into what what perception, what impulse is going up the spine. Hmm. That's it, right? So if you know the mechanism of it to some degree, you don't have to know it, you know, now you're going, wow, we're really, this is a spinal cord simulator. We're really just stimulating the spinal cord. And, and, and more and more of these therapies are going to come out in terms of like, how are we actually using energy or frequency waves to change the way to change the way that our brain or spinal cord has been set up or processing information based on all of our experience through our lifetime right so if you think of things like transcranial uh transcranial uh stimulation for instance stimulation of the brain um uh uh transcranial magnetic stimulation um all these sorts of different things ultrasound now we're actually using ultrasound to affect right brain ultrasound where we're in what's that well that's a certain wave frequency again right and we can if we use mri with ultrasound we can actually localize the ultrasound wave to a very specific area and that's the specific area that we want to try to alter. Okay. Uh, and so we're using this. And so if, if somebody comes to me and they're like, oh, you know, I'm using brain ultrasound, I'm like, fantastic, right? Do you think we could do the same thing with like guided meditation or sound, right? Sound waves and guided meditation? Yeah. And the answer is clearly yes. It's clearly yes. It's just that, you know, we're not going to do the studies to figure that out until 40 years from now, but it's clearly yeah. yes. Yeah. And so therefore it just might take longer. Right. And so that's where this combination 
for me, it's sort of like, oh, combination. It's like, oh yeah, we could do this and this, or, you know, let's combine this and this, or let's, you know, yeah. kind of like these combinatorial effects and sort of like, mm-hmm. when do you want the, uh, you know, how, how quickly do you need the change? And if we actually teach our kids how to do it, then we won't need to actually implement these dramatic changes because they'll be modulating themselves from an early age and so be able to kind of create their own pathways, right? And yeah, things are gonna happen, right? Traumas are gonna occur, whatever. But if we have a supportive network around them, then hopefully it might not embed itself so deeply, right? Um, and so we'll, it's sort of like using the therapeutics at the right time mm-hmm. or having the right, you know, psychological counseling at the right time, even in infancy or early childhood or early teenage years, right? Where it's like, where you're not waiting until you're 25 or 30 or 50, right? Yeah. Where it's like, oh, wait, dad, mom, I just had this. Oh, let's rewire the brain right okay how how do we want to do this let's process it through the body let's have the felt sense be let's bring you back out of that memory so that you we don't develop ptsd let's bring you into the now into the present moment right and so what are we what are the tools that we're using well we could be using light sound different types of medications i won't go into those um you know uh transcranial stim whatever it is right and it's sort of mm-hmm. like meditation mindfulness um mm-hmm. you know healing touch whatever that might be so yeah i don't know that's just I, my sense yeah i'm a big big believer that the the quickest way to change the world is to get to the the teach the kids how to be mindful and self-aware because then they won't have to hopefully heal when they're 40. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be a good study to do, right? Follow them. Yeah. Have a class. I mean, I just, um, I trained with somebody and they actually, they're, um, she just got hired at her school district to do the, you know, she's now the um, the welfare coach. Oh, wow. Um, and, and, and they're doing things like, you know, they're learning how to meditate. They're learning how to m- p- uh, practice mindfulness. They're learning how to do, um, r- uh, you know, um, relaxation response they're learning how to do uh, biofeedback and all this stuff which is really cool stuff that's great yeah i'm trying to get in the um starting with the school my kids are in but just trying to get the sound healing out there mindfulness out there because the these kids i don't know if they've ever really come like inside and really tuned into what's going on in their bodies how could you ever even uh, take in all the outside stimulus without knowing what's going on on the inside so i think it's a great place to start as well um but i did want to talk to you um about the project you're working on um with the cerebral spinal fluid i am presence can you talk a little bit about that and what kind of help you're looking for from um from others Mostly it's funding, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I mean, essentially what we're trying to do is sort of it's 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 very similar to the, you know, to the study that I already proposed, which is essentially. Um, can we, you know, can can it can the cerebrospinal fluid be affected? Can we show that the cerebrospinal fluid can be affected from an external uh, energy source? And the first one that we'd go to because it's it, we already know that it has therapeutic value would be some sort of sound healing 
for instance. So somebody is in the ICU and they have a catheter that's in their ventricle and we do sound healing and, and you know, to all the um, neurosurgeons that I've spoken with, it would be very easy to get consent from the family because very few people would say, oh, I don't want you to play that, that sound to my you know, son or daughter or mother or husband um, or, you know, whoever it is, family member. Um, and so, you know, because consent is important, but when you can't do consent, then you have to go through, you know, it's still important to do all these studies ethically. And very few people would say, look, we're going to play, you know, a uh, um, 128 hertz sound. And what we'd like to do is, you know, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to play it on the outside. The sound has been used for millennia. It hasn't had any effect on, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and what we want to do is because they, they have a catheter in their brain already, we're actually going to see if we can notice any wave changes in that catheter, right? And so, and just seeing then, and then um, if we see the wave changes um, in the catheter, um, there's a, um, <clears throat> there's a uh, neuroscientist who uh, I'm working with who um, would want to study the entropy of the fluid itself as we are um, bathing it with um, or bathing the whole room that they're in with sound. Um, and then seeing if we can see EEG changes in the brain, essentially, um, and differentiating those changes from changes that are occurring through the olfactory, through the um, through the um, the uh, the auditory canal, uh, and so can we di differentiate because there there may be right you, there's you you're expecting some changes coming in from the auditory uh, canals, and so therefore can we actually determine the changes that are actually coming from a change in vibration of the cerebrospinal fluid to the EEG to the brain tissue from playing uh, some sort of acoustic. Um, sound, drum, Tibetan bowl, crystal bowl, et cetera. Um, and so we're looking for, you know, we're looking for funding uh, for that. We already have the, you know, everything, everything is essentially set up except for, except for the funding. Um, but, you know, essentially what I try to do is just bring awareness to the cerebrospinal flu. So, you know, doing any, if you're in any meditation or you're doing any classes, you know, kind of getting a sense of the anatomy of the cerebrospinal fluid and just bringing your awareness to it. And that's it. And saying, wow, I have a clear fluid that's breathing the inside of my brain that's filling these ventricles. What could it be doing? And just kind of open yourself up to that fluid um, that's there and then see what happens. And, you know, on my website, I have stories of people who have done this and who are who write in who feel comfortable enough to write in and and explain their stories and so we're just kind of collecting people's experiences of you know hey when i did this this is what happened or this is what i felt or you know a lot of people send me near-death experiences um via email and they never make it on the website but it's all via email and they send me near-death experiences and then they you know and they talk about some incredible experience that they had with their cerebrospinal fluid um, and so what I'm what I'm hoping to do is sort of, you know, it might be harder than because I've, I have so many now is, you know, getting permission from everybody to publish these because I think it'd be a fascinating little compendium of stories. Um, 
that people have and not it, nothing scientific, but just, you know, hey, these are individual people's accounts of their experience, right? It'd almost be like taking like, like a hundred, you know, give me a story of a hundred women going through childbirth, right? It's going to throw that many are going to be different. Some aspects are going to be similar, but it kind of be interesting to know, right? Across the, across the globe, right? And so I think when you do this on a, ver a level like this, that you're going to get, you know, I get people from Australia, New Zealand, India, China, um, you know, I have one person asking me if they can, uh, you know, they're like, we, we, you know, we want to get your stuff to this person in China, but it, but YouTube is blocked or something like that. Mm. Um, and so, you know, and so that's, so there's nothing like special about it. It's just, you know, tell me your experience. Um, and of course, sort of creating like an experiential library of it. I love it. Very cool. Um, when I do my guided, like a guided meditation with a sound bath and my crystal singing bowls, um, basically bringing awareness to that root chakra and then connecting with the earth and then bringing up that energy from the earth all the way through the chakras up to source creator and then back down. And my experience I said, I've, I kind of, what I call it is like that. And I heard in one of your meditations, it's like that liquid plasma light. That's like a fountain just pouring through when you tune into that um, and, it, and like allow it to come in. It's like a fountain pouring in and through. And then it's like we as a conduit become just a channel for this energy to flow up and down through us. So that's, I'm like, uh, that's like my mission is like connect people to plugging in to this source and earth. And it's like an activation, it seems. So it's so neat to hear you explain it in a medical way. So I'm so thankful for all that you shared and all the research that you're doing. And I hope and pray that your study gets funded because I can't wait to see the the information that comes out because of it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, what you're doing connecting that way is, is absolutely incredible. So keep doing that. I will. And same <laughs> to you. Thank you so much for being on the Frequency Matters podcast. And I hope that we can stay in touch and I'd love to follow along on your work and your journey. Cool. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. This concludes the Frequency Matters podcast, episode four. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening into the fascinating conversation with Dr. Mauro Zapatera. He can be found through his website, www.holdingspace.com. And you can link to his YouTube channel with his amazing resource of awakening um, library of YouTube videos. 24 episodes of content and practices and it's really fascinating stuff and i hope that you'll explore all the information that's out there thanks again have a blessed and beautiful day frequency frequency frequency, frequency matters matters matters, matters. matters. matters.